If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 16. Here in John chapter 16, our text this morning will be verses 28 to 33. This is really the culmination of everything that Jesus has been talking about to his disciples throughout these chapters, 13, 14, 15, and 16. This is his farewell discourse. Everything that they need to know for what is getting ready to happen. He is laying it out for them. He is expressing his concern. You see that. In everything that Jesus has been saying thus far, you see his heart, you see his love for his disciples, his concern for them, considering the great trial that is getting ready to happen, that is getting ready to occur in a short time from, from the moment he is saying these things. It will not be too long now before our Lord and his disciples will cross over the brook Kidron into the Garden of Gethsemane, where he will be arrested, where he will be tried. This is really a wonderful conclusion to what Jesus is, has been saying thus far. For he ends his farewell discourse with his disciples on a note of victory. And that's important to remember. That in light of everything that he's been talking about thus far, in light of the difficult things, in light of, of all the circumstances that they're going to go through, not just in that time, but even in the things to come. Jesus has told them so many things of the great sorrow that they're going to endure, being hated by the world. They're going to be killed, people who are killing them, thinking that they're doing the will of the Lord. All of this stuff he's been saying to them, but it ends in that note of victory. Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. How important that is to remember, dear, dear friends. It is so easy to get downtrodden because of your individual circumstances or the circumstances of the nation itself that we're in. It's so easy because we see so much godlessness going on. And we may even think to ourselves that the, maybe the enemy has a great foothold. But the very thing that we always come back to regardless is this truth that King Jesus is reigning. That King Jesus is victorious. And that despite our circumstances, what he reminds us here in this passage is what he has reminded us throughout this whole discourse. In me, you will have peace. That is the great promise of the Lord. Despite what goes on in the world, the tribulation in the world, in me, you will have peace. It is a wonderful passage for us to be reminded of, to conclude everything that he is saying thus far, to have this reminder once again to our hearts. Don't be in despair. Don't become downtrodden. Don't just look at your own circumstances, but rather fix your eyes upon the great king who has overcome. And I pray that this will be a wonderful reminder to us of those very things as we work our way through this passage today. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. John chapter 16, verses 28 to 33. This is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words of the living God. Let us hear the words of the living God. 
I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly, and you are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things, and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming, and has already come, for you to be scattered, each to his own home. And to leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone. Because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you. So that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father. We come to you this day. Father we pray that your word would go forth, that the Spirit of God would apply it to our hearts, giving us a greater understanding of who you are and what joy and peace that we have in you. You are the source of our hope, the source of everything, regardless of what goes on in this world. You are the sovereign king. Father, remind us of these things, and may our hearts be encouraged by your word. To you be the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Last Lord's Day, Jason had went over <clears throat> really uh, leading up to this, this whole summary of all that Jesus has said before, of some of the wonderful blessings that we have received in him, of prayer, being able to come before the throne of grace, Jesus says, in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will make a request of the Father on your behalf. He says, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came forth from the Father. That in itself is a wonderful blessing, because in everything that Jesus is saying, that is one of the, 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 the great characteristics of, of believers is that of prayer. Uh, the great disciplines is that of prayer and recognizing the great privilege that we have of coming before the throne of grace, coming before the Father into the holiest of holies, that we may let our request be made known unto God, that we may glorify him, that we may receive the peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus has said so many wonderful things in this passage throughout these chapters, dear friends, and and I pray that as we have been going through there, that we have been taking to heart everything that Jesus has been saying. Because there's so many blessings that have been given here. There are so many truths to, to marvel at and to, to just be in awe to say, these things are mine in him. Because he, because of his work. I may come into the throne of grace, before the throne of grace, boldly, confidently. The great blessings that he has referred to, not only there, but the coming of the Spirit of God. The coming of the Spirit to, to empower all believers for the work of ministry. And that is, that in itself is something to, to consider and to marvel at, is, is that the Spirit of God has come in the fullest measure upon all believers to empower them 
to share the gospel, to declare the gospel, to live out the gospel in our lives, not in our own strength, but in the strength of him who resides within us. To glorify our Lord, to declare the, the marvelous character and nature of our God, the work of our Lord Jesus, the person of who he is, all of these wonderful things that we are privileged to be used by God in this manner to snatch some out of the fire. He has really put on display for us much of his character and his nature. And he does it again here. That we may understand him even more. To be confident in the things that he has expressed to us. This is what you will do. Bearing fruit. Bearing much fruit. Being his witnesses. All of this. It is, it is really necessary for us to be reminded of that. Because it's so easy to lose sight of it. If it, if it were something that would that would be that we would hear at one time and retain it, then it wouldn't be emphasized all through the New Testament. The very same principles all through the New Testament, because as one brother had said to me earlier this week, we were talking about a number of different things, how we're referred to as sheep. And sheep are dumb. So you gotta remind them. Guide them again. Because we are. We need to be reminded of the great blessings that we have in Christ and be reminded of who we are now in Christ. To be reminded of who he is. Because as you reflect upon his very character and his very nature, it only emphasizes his grace even more so that it was extended to us who are fallible creatures. Listen to what Jesus says about himself once again as he is summing all of this up. He's concluding once again and reiterating truths before that he's, that he's already went over. He says in verse 28, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world, and I'm leaving the world again and going to the Father. <clears throat> the, very gospel, the, the whole gospel of John is really one big emphasis on the deity of our Lord Jesus. To make, the, the, so that there would be no question as to who he is, who is walking on the earth, who is dwelling with his disciples, who tabernacled among us, as he says, but the word of life, the Logos, the one who has come forth from the Father, whose origins were in the heavens, the one who sat on his cosmic throne, Ruling and reigning with the Father and the Spirit of God from all eternity. Sharing that perfect love and perfect communion and perfect fellowship from all eternity. This one was sent by the Father who took on human flesh. Who clothed himself in human flesh. So that through his actions, through his words, through his redemption that he is bringing about on the cross... Through all of these things that we can see the character and the nature of God put on display for us that we can come to know him even more so. He emphasizes this again. I came forth from the Father. Speaking of his pre-existence. Of his eternality. And he, have come, and he has come into the world which reminds us again of his incarnation. Which is in itself an amazing truth to marvel at. That this one who is lying in the manger, who is looking up at the stars that he created, is the very same one at the same time he's sitting in the manger, the one who is upholding all things by the word of his power. This one 
entered into human history at the appointed time by the Father. He is getting ready to accomplish his work, and he is leaving the world again and going to the Father. Notice something there. Aside from being reminded once again of his deity and his glory and his majesty, of of being the one who, who spoke all things into existence as John himself had testified, nothing came into being apart from him. He made it all by the word of his power. The glorious God who dwells in unapproachable light, who is our only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, has come from the Father. And he says he is leaving the world again. And you see his willingness, not only in coming, but his willingness to lay down his life to leave. His life is not being taken from him. He is announcing before it happens, I'm departing and going to the Father. I am leaving and going to the Father. And this is the means by which I will leave. A reminder again, no one takes his life from him. He lays down his life willingly. He leaves and he goes to the Father. He lays his life down willingly, for he is the sovereign king. No one takes his life. No one is able to take his life unless he permits it to occur. That's why throughout all the Gospels we see as many times as they took up stones to stone him. Or they tried to push him off a cliff. Never could they do it. Never could they achieve it. He would pass through their midst because his hour had not yet come. Well, he announces to us in this farewell discourse, the hour has come. He will lay down his life. He will go back to his father, being exalted, having finished his work. He will be exalted, ascending into heaven to sit at the right hand of the majesty on high, to sit at the right hand of power, to sit at the right hand of the father, to once again rule and reign. What a reminder it is of his sovereignty and of his power and of his willingness to come and complete the work that the Father had given him to do when there was no obligation under him to do it. He didn't have to do anything. We we know this. We're reminded of this. Everything that he's doing is a pure act of grace. He's the one who's going to carry out all the demands that he put on man. He set the standard. And yet he's the one who's going to carry out the very standard that man should keep. We see that willing departure. We see his character. Reminded again of his deity. Because that is important, especially when you get when you enter into difficulties in life, being reminded of the God that you serve. I serve not a God who can, whose will can be thwarted by anything that happens within the world. I serve a sovereign God whose dominion is everlasting and no one may ever say to him, what have you done? I serve a sovereign king who doesn't pace back and forth, standing in heaven and, and wringing his hands, wondering what he's going to do now that man is has rebelled against him even more so. He is the one who is seated. And everything's going according to plan. There is no plan B. Everything that comes to pass is by the sovereign decree of God. That's who Christ is. He is the sovereign one. He is the Lord of glory is what Paul calls him. 
He speaks very clearly here to his disciples, saying very plainly, I came forth from the Father. I've came into the world. I'm leaving the world. I'm going back to the Father. His disciples, they say, Lo, now you're speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Whereas Jesus beforehand had said, A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And they start deliberating amongst themselves. What is he meaning by that? What does that even mean? A little while, you won't see me? Then in a little while, you're going to see me? And so he speaks very plainly, very clearly. I'm leaving and going back to the Father. And he answers the question that they hadn't asked him. They're deliberating amongst themselves, but they hadn't asked him. And in light of them uh, receiving the answer to the question that they didn't ask, it's almost reminiscent of, of Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to him by night, and Jesus automatically says, you must be born again. He didn't even ask the question. Or the same thing with Nathaniel. As Jesus, when he meets Nathaniel, he says, I saw you. Once again, that omniscience of Christ put on display. And in light of this, what do his disciples say? You're speaking clearly, and now we know. Now we know. You know all things. You have no need for anyone to question you. And by this we believe that you came from God. This is really the intended result of everything that Jesus has been saying. This confession of faith on the part of the disciples, a strengthening of, your faith, of their faith. Do they quite understand everything? No, they don't. They still don't because when the, nights, the night gets going and the circumstances begin to occur, they're discouraged, they're downtrodden, they, don't, they still didn't understand fully, but they did believe this truth that he came from God. Because Jesus even acknowledges that. In his prayer to the Father in chapter 17. In verse 7 he says, Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them. And they have received them. And truly understood that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. So this confession on the part of the disciples is a genuine one. An immature one. But it is genuine. Again, him putting on his, the display of his deity once again, only ensured even more so, yes, he is from God. We believe that you came forth from God. We know that no one uh, need to even question you because you can give a response before we even ask because you know our thoughts. You know it all. And what is Jesus saying? you now believe? He's not, he's not disregarding their faith. Again, he's acknowledging it, and he acknowledges it in his prayer to the Father. But it is still not a mature faith in the sense of everything that he has been telling them that they would understand it. They seem, as one theologian said, they seem a little bit full of themselves, very sure of themselves. Now we know. One theologian said it seems as if they're a little bit presumptuous there. Because if they truly knew perhaps what they're claiming to know, then they wouldn't have scattered 
whenever Christ was arrested and crucified. Sometimes we get a little full of ourselves, just as they do. We think we got it figured out. And we've all been in those situations, whether in our personal life or in our jobs or whatever. We think we have it figured out. This is going to be the end. The circumstance is going to end up like this. And then it ends up completely different, and we're embarrassed, humiliated, discouraged, because we were a little bit too full of ourselves. That's a very similar situations in which they themselves will endure. You know this by the time in which Jesus is going to, to be with the disciples on the way to Emmaus, on the road to Emmaus. We thought he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. They were very discouraged, perhaps a little confused. But again, even in, in the response of the disciples, they're acknowledging once again the character and the nature of the one who was speaking to them. You are the omniscient one. You have come from God. You are not of this world. And notice how quickly they believed what he said. They didn't have to deliberate amongst themselves when he gave this answer, when he answered what they were thinking or deliberating. They didn't think, no, wait a minute. What's he, what's he mean? That he came from God. I don't know. He's just a man. They didn't. They said now we know. We believe. They didn't question anything about him. Why? Perhaps one of the things that we can look back to. Is that they've been with him for three and a half years. And at no point was Jesus ever deceptive. At no point did Jesus ever lie. But Jesus continually showed forth the character and the nature of God. That he is truth embodied in human flesh. That in him there is no lie. In him there is no darkness. That he is indeed the spotless lamb of God who, who no one could ever charge him with sin. And in light of his faithfulness, in light of his character that they knew, when he says to them, I came forth from the Father, I've come into the world, now I'm departing the world, going back to the Father. He's never lied to us before. Yes, we believe. They believe the word of the Lord. They didn't have to sit and question and deliberate and go over this and go over that. They took what he said at face value. This is what Jesus said, and this is what we believe. What a great lesson that we could learn from that. We come to certain passages of Scripture, and we want to sit and think to ourselves, I wonder if I could regulate that to a, a cultural thing. Some things are cultural, but the other things are very straightforward. I wonder how we can get around this. And yet we say, we love the Lord. We believe the Lord. We, we trust in the Lord. If we believe the Lord and we love the Lord and we trust in the Lord, we'll trust in his word. Not to try to figure out how, how we can get around something or doing something or doing things that we know that, that are right, that are plain within scripture. We like to bargain. Well, maybe we'll go this far. Maybe we'll do this and that other stuff. You know, we, we won't worry about that. We need to just take the word of the Lord as what it says. Because what he says in his word and the things that he promises in his word, the way of life that he commands of us to live out, his, to live out before him in, in a way that glorifies him and all of this, this is truth being given to us. 
There is no guessing on how to please the Lord. He has laid it out. Now do it. That's what it comes down to. Just do it. And can you do it? Yes, you can do it. Is it in your own power? No. But because of the Spirit of God that he has promised his disciples, the Spirit of God empowers us to do it. And it's it's a willingness on our part to say, yes, Lord, you said this. Yes, Lord, you know your way is the best. This is how I may glorify you. I should have desires to glorify you. So therefore, I will do these things not out of a duty, but out of a love for you to show you that I love you, to show you that I adore you. You are faithful. You don't tell us something that's going to hurt us. You don't tell us something to be deceptive. You tell us the way of righteousness and the way is in the word. Sometimes our wheeling and dealing really encompasses with other people. I really don't want to do that. These people, this person, that place, whatever, gets on my nerves. It just bothers me. I don't want to do it. And so we think, I'll do these other things. May the Lord be pleased with me but with that I'm just not going to do it it's amazing the things that that we are commanded of by the Lord to do that even though we don't feel like doing it of how it changes our hearts in the process of doing it In the same way as we are commanded to pray for people, even people perhaps that we don't like or people that are very wicked people or leaders in the the nation or whatever, we're commanded to pray for them. We're commanded to pray for their salvation. And we do it grudgingly. We think to ourselves, really don't want to pray for them. I'd rather the Lord just bring down his wrath and get this thing over with. But it's amazing how the Spirit of God works in your heart. That in the moments in which you begin to pray for them, even the people that you don't like, or the people that get on your nerves, of how it softens your heart. If we do what God commands of us to do, it's not then a situation in which we have to get ourselves to do it in one sense. It's a situation of, I'm going to trust in the Lord, I'm going to do it, and He's going to change me in the process. He's going to open my heart. He's going to open my mind that I I can carry out the things that He desires of me. That when it comes to the Word of God and it comes to what Christ, the faithful one, has declared in His Word, these are things that we shouldn't be questioning or trying to get around. It should be, Lord, let me do these things to honor You. Do you desire to honor Christ? That's the question. Do you desire to show him your love and your devotion to him? Or do you like just to have a little bit? I'll do this much and the rest of my life is mine. These are questions we have to ask because it's very easy to become very self-righteous and self-centered and selfish and all of those things. That's why there must be that continued reminder of Christ, who he is, what he's done, and who we are in him as a result of his finished work. 
what a character that he puts on display for his disciples that they wouldn't even question what he is saying to them. Now look at this. He's reiterating once again his divine origins. He's come from heaven. His, his character is on display once again, his divinity on display. And even though they make this confession of faith that they do now believe, they still don't quite understand fully. And so Jesus is going to reiterate once again some of the things that he's been saying to them, but it's going to end on this that I have overcome. That's what he says. He says, do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone, and yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. An hour has come, and it's here, because Judas is already at work. Judas is already gathering the religious leaders. He's already performing what Satan has put in his heart to do. And so Jesus says, an hour is coming and has already come. It's already in the works. Then in a short time, you're going to be scattered. Now, they're very confident in their faith. We now know. We believe that you came from God. But they still don't quite understand. And so Jesus reiterates again that they're not taken by surprise. And it's a pure act of grace that Jesus is even saying these things to them. And, and in you, again, you're seeing that concern and that love for his disciples to tell them these things, that there's no misunderstandings. You're going to be scattered. Each to his own home. You're going to leave me alone. Now, they're going to be scattered because their master is getting ready to be arrested by the religious leaders. They're perhaps going to be very confused. And they're going to be alone. Only a few of the disciples, John and Peter, are going to be following Christ throughout this whole ordeal. John especially. Peter, once he denies him, of course he goes out and he weeps bitterly. But the rest of the disciples are going to scatter. They're going to abandon him. We believe that you came from God. We now know. But then when the hour comes, they run. They run away. They go into hiding. They're fearful of their life now. They're confused. And you see that confusion again on the part of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. We thought he was going to redeem Israel. We thought he was the one. How discouraged that their hearts are. Even to the extent that even when the announcement comes, the tomb's empty. Hmm, I'm just not sure. We have moments like that in which we are confused, in which we become downtrodden, and we wonder what is happening. Because we, we had a pre preconceived idea of how things should have went, and it didn't go that way. Instead, it went maybe the complete opposite, the very way that we were fearful of to begin with. Now what? Now what do we do? Well, here's, here's the truth of the Christian faith right here. That these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. 
That is a for sure thing for every believer. You will have tribulation. Does that mean it's on the same degree as everybody else? No. Brothers and sisters in Africa being killed for their faith, around the world being persecuted for their faith, we're slandered here, maybe ostracized, whatever. In this world, you will have tribulation. That means pressure. The world will try to crowd you out because you're not of the world. You're different. And the world loves its own. So as a result of you representing the one whom they hate, then their anger and their bitterness, their resentment will be towards you. In this world, you will have tribulation. This isn't sunshine and rainbows to be a believer in Christ as far as what we understand from, from a human point of view in the sense of what we endure. There shouldn't be any misunderstandings about that. The Apostle Paul says in a very well-known verse, all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution in one way or another. But how do we get through that? Do we allow ourselves to be just so focused on our own self and our own circumstance that we become bitter in our own hearts and we say, this isn't the way it was supposed to have went, Lord. This was supposed to be different. If I'm serving you and I'm trying to do right by you, why aren't you doing right by me? That's how we think of it, right? This should be reciprocal here. So what do we do? Well, we can absolutely go and go that route and become very bitter in our hearts. Or we can be reminded, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal which will come upon you for the testing of your faith as if some strange thing happened to you. To count it all joy when you endure various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith produces patience and let patience have its perfect work so that you're lacking nothing. And we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been shown to us. So what do we do? We do the very things that Jesus is saying here. You're going to be scattered. You're going to be confused. You're going to be alone. Really alone. You're going to be fearful. But these things I have spoken to you. These things. What's he talking about? Everything that he has been talking about. Throughout this farewell discourse. Everything that he has been saying to them. You, you, because of these things, you may have peace. These things that I have spoken to you. So what's he been going over? He's been going over God's great love for you. Great love for the disciples. That love extended to them. Of their place in heaven, that he's going to prepare a place for them. That he's intimately involved in the preparation of it. The coming of the Spirit of God, who is going to bring back to their remembrance all that Jesus had said, who's going to empower them and work through them, use them to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, to be witnesses 
for the Lord Jesus Christ to honor him. He's told them about the great works that they will do as a result of the Spirit of God coming. About the great blessing of coming before the Father in prayer. They don't have to go through a human mediator. They're privileged to come into the Holy of Holies before the throne of grace on account of what Christ is getting ready to do. These things, all of these great blessings I have spoken to you, he says. So that in me you may have peace. There's the great contrast. In him, peace. Out there, tribulation. The problem is, is we sometimes allow worldliness to get in our own hearts to where we don't have peace. Again, if we focus on ourselves, self-centeredness, selfishness, all of those things, then when the difficult times come, we don't have peace. And, and not a peace in which there's, there's nothing going on in our life, but a peace that surpasses all understanding, that tranquility of heart that can only come by the Spirit of God to grant us that in the midst of such circumstances is what we endure. In Him, we may have peace. You may have peace in Him. Let your sorrow be turned into courage and assurance. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Philippians, the Philippians is the book of joy. Even in the midst of him writing to the Philippian church, chained to a guard in a Roman prison, what does he say? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in what? Rejoice that Christ has died for you. Rejoice that God's love has been extended to you. Rejoice in the grace that has been extended to you. Rejoice in the place in, in heaven that Christ has for you. Rejoice in the spirit of God that has been given to you as a seal, as a pledge. Rejoice in the spirit of God who is the spirit of joy. Have confidence in the sovereign Lord that everything is going according to plan. And that your circumstances in your life, the things that go on in the world, as difficult as they are, we come back to this very truth. Take courage, I have overcome the world. It's defeated. He's conquered. That's why you think of John writing the gospel here, and he reiterates what Jesus said about, I've overcome the world. And then you read in the book of Revelation, this is the Lamb that is overcome. He is the one who is conquered. And we are privileged to partake in that victory as well. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And I say that because it's, you need, you know, all of these things are a reminder to us because it's so easy to forget. You serve a sovereign God who has declared the end from the beginning who works all things after the counsel of his will. I was talking to someone recently, and they were talking about that they, they were just so upset because of how things were going in this particular town, this particular city, and how Satan was just getting a foothold. And, and you see so much of this going on, and it's just it's so discouraging. 
you know, what's it going to be like for our children? What's it going to be like for our grandchildren? And granted, they were very sincere and had a genuine concern. But it comes back to this. There's nothing that is happening here that is a surprise to the Lord. There is nothing happening here that is thwarting God's will. Everything is going according to plan. And how, how can we say that? Because the sovereign God is the one who is king over all. What does Psalm 2 say? When the nations are raging and devising vain things, it says the Lord laughs at them. He laughs them to scorn. They're mere grasshoppers in, in the sight of the Lord. What are they? We understand that the world lies in the bosom of the evil one is what John tells us. But the evil one is under the sovereign hand of his creator. Don't forget that. Well, Satan is getting a foothold. Satan is doing this and Satan is doing that. Satan is only doing what his master allows him to do, though he can only go so far. Satan is like a dog on a leash. He only goes as far as his master will allow. He is not an equal to Christ. There is no equal to Christ. In the tribulation, in the suffering, in the pain that we go through in this life are for the purpose of strengthening our faith, testing our faith, refining our faith, that we grow in him that we grow to be more like him, that we grow in faithfulness, that we grow in love because he's continually with us. That's one of the great, the great blessings of, of salvation is that we're never alone because our Lord is with us. So take heart, take courage, be reminded he is overcome. He is king. And as MacArthur says, there is nothing in the kingdom of darkness that will ever have an effect on the kingdom of Christ. Ever. When people bring up the state of everything, it's something to look at and it's not something to be joyous about. I mean, you don't go around being joyful about it. But at the same time, to keep yourself in check, you, you come back to this truth. That God is sovereign. And I have confidence in him. And that's where my joy comes. That's where my hope is. That's where my peace is. Everything is in the plan of God. That's where we go back to, dear friends. He's actually said, I have overcome the world, and he hasn't even accomplished his finished work yet. But it's a done deal. Be confident in the Lord. Be confident in his word. He hasn't given us these things in vain. Your situations in life are not empty they're not meaningless. They have purpose. And every time that we read of it in Scripture, the purpose is to grow us in holiness. So instead of looking at the situation, focusing upon the situation, focus then on what is God producing in me to change me, to mold me, to be more like Christ, that I may honor him in my circumstance. Fix your eyes on Christ not on your circumstance. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Christ has overcome the world. Let's pray together.
Gracious God and our Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. Thank you for all that it teaches us once again, all that it reminds us of our Lord Jesus, who he is, his power, his majesty, his glory, his splendor. He is the sovereign God who lays down his life for his sheep. And Father, let not our hearts become troubled within us as we reflect on our own individual lives and other things that go on. The situations themselves are never joyous, but the outcome of the situation can be joyous if we will focus upon you. Father, help us each day. Give us the strength that we ourselves don't have, producing us a greater trust and a greater faithfulness unto you and a greater joy by the Spirit of God who resides within us. Cultivate that, that godliness in us through his working. Father, thank you so much for the great blessings that we have in your Son, the Lord Jesus, that you hear our prayer, that you receive our worship, and that you're pleased with those that are in the Son. Father, to you be the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.